G'day. This is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Roger Ginsberg. Thank you so much for downloading the show. Michelle Cowan's on the show today, episode 360. If you're listening to this podcast, you will probably know by now that podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. My audio producer, Andy, and my show producer, Rachel, do such an amazing job helping me make this show every week. And I need to pay them because they're the best in the country at what they do. To help pay them, occasionally you'll hear an ad. Now, you might hear an ad for something that you need. You might not. You might not hear an ad at all. Either way, thank you so much for helping me pay these two fantastic human beings. So you might hear an ad, but then you hear Michelle say something cool, and then we'll get on with it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I remember some really uh, inappropriate questions at the end of one of my keynotes out in the country town and, you know, how many guys in the football world have I been with and do it or go in the change room and have a look and all of that and in that moment, I remember clearly, I just said, yeah, are there any other real questions? Later on, after that moment, once we all finished, he came up and apologised, so obviously knew that it was inappropriate, and I used that opportunity just to educate. Do you have a mum? Do you have a daughter? Do you have a grandma? Do you have a sister? Do you have a neighbour that is a female? Think about what you do say. Think about the words and don't be disrespectful about it because you'd want your daughter to be anything that she can be and anything that she wants to be. So support people through that. That is AFL coach Michelle Cowan and this is episode 360 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. 
I'm Osha Ginsberg, and thank you so much for being here. This is a bi-weekly podcast. Each Monday, I have a guest on the show. Each Friday, I just have you and me together. But no matter what, this podcast is designed to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something that you hear on this show today is guaranteed to help you make today better. You'll lie in bed tonight and go, you know what? Today was a good one. Today was good. I like today. Today was good. That's what this show's here to do. There's 359 other interviews to get stuck into. There's a squillion Fridays that you can get stuck into, but that's what this show's here to do. That's what I am to do with the show. That's what I've been doing with the show since 2013. If you don't know me, my name's Osher Ginsberg. I'm a TV host and an author and a podcaster and a, a compost stirrer and a transplanted bean plant waterer innerer and a baby bath water recycler and a strange baby bath siphon system to get the baby water from upstairs to downstairs designer and a live streamer from Sydney, Australia. And um, this is my podcast, and I'm grateful you're here. Thank you so much. Michelle Cowan's on the show today. She's currently the assistant coach for the West Coast Eagles, and she was the first ever female assistant coach for the uh, – WAFL. That's the West, sorry, the WAAFL when she was just 21 years old. It's an incredible story and I can't wait to get stuck into it with you. Uh, She's brilliant. I hope you're good. Thank you so much for sending me all the pictures of what you're looking at. It really makes my day. You're probably listening to this on a phone, so take a photo of what you're looking at. Write to me what what, what it is and where you're listening. That's it. I listen to podcasts when I'm out the back training or I'm gardening or whatever. That's when I listen to podcasts. When do you listen to podcasts? It'd be great to hear from you. Uh, send us your email at gmail.com. Speaking of getting in touch with me, it is uh, in the last few years been quite common for people to ask me to do videos for them, which I'm happy to do, but I always get lost and confused and I, I run out of time or, or whatever and it's hard to upload, whatever. Anyway, so people have been asking me to do videos uh, hey, happy birthday and congratulations, or you're graduating, or you've got a new job, or you've had a baby, or you're pregnant, or you congrat- would you will you marry me? I've been doing these videos for a long, and I'm grateful to do it, but I found a thing that I can do them and raise money for charity. So that's how we're going to do it from here on in. There's an app called Cameo, C-A-M-E-O, like the band. And um, if you go to Cameo and search my name, You'll find me there. If you fling a couple of shekels my way, you'll see the, the price point is there. I will donate 100% of the proceeds to the FRRR, the Foundation for Rural and Regional Renewal. You've heard me talk about them a lot on this show. I've had the CEO of the uh, FRRR on this show. They do amazing work in our country for rural and regional areas and not only helping them rebuild after disasters, but also helping them make, make them more resilient for the challenges of living in remote parts of Australia. Not only the, the challenges of remoteness, but the challenges of uh, things like the changing climate and global warming. Uh, They're incredible frontline people who do amazing work and I'm really grateful to support them. We've already raised a couple, I've been doing this for 24 hours and we've raised a couple of hundred bucks already and it's great. So if you want me to make a video for someone or whatever, just head over to Cameo, search my name and uh, I'll try and take care of it. Also, thanks to everyone that's been enjoying Dad Pod. Our episode uh, last week was with Jet Wilkinson, who's I think she's the most successful person that I used to work with, who's now like way more successful than anybody else that I know. Yeah, she's freaking amazing. She's a director. And uh, I worked with her at Channel V and Charlie worked with her on Home and Away. And now she's in America just being a demigod of television, directing episode after episode of major, major network TV shows. And she's freaking good. That's why. Because <laughs> she's so freaking good. She's an incredible story. She's been on this show as well. Her story is amazing. She was an adopted orphan, an adopted orphan from the Vietnam War. And she has made an amazing life for herself. Anyway, she's our special guest, Mum Dad. And it's superb. So Dad Pod, season two is out now. There'll be a new episode on Wednesday. 
So before we get into today's show with Michelle, if conversations with uh, women who work at the very highest, highest ends of sport are interesting to you, you may want to slide on back to episode 238 with Danielle Prince. Danielle Prince is a Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games rhythmic gymnast. Uh, she's represented our country at the absolute peak of her field. Uh, rhythmic gymnastics, it's often the trope where a man will take the piss and dress up in a leotard and fling a ribbon around. Yet I can tell you, having watched uh, my eldest Georgia train rhythmic gymnastics for a couple of years, it is one of the hardest things you could ever do with your body. As Danielle puts it, it is the fusion between athleticism and art. I did a throw that I can do with my eyes closed and I've been doing for the last three years and I went to catch it and the ball bounced off my knee and when a ball hits you from eight metres in the air, it goes flying. To have such a huge mistake in front of a home crowd was just awful. I walked over to my coach and all I can say to my coach is like, I want to do it again. Can I go again? Can I go again? Because I was just in so much shock of just what happened. I got my score, it was a seven. Normally we're getting looking for scores of 14, so not great. And the crowd erupts and keeps cheering. And my coach turns to me and she's like, Danny, they still love you. It doesn't matter. You know, she's like, wave. That is episode 238 with Danielle Prince. Just scroll back in your podcast feed to check it out. So let me tell you about my guest today. Michelle Cowan is an AFL coach from Perth, Western Australia. At 21 years old, she became the first woman ever to be assistant coach for the WA AFL, the men's competition. At 21 years old, she was in there. Her story of how she got there how she stayed there, and how she persevered is just incredible. Michelle's currently the AFL High Performance Coach Mentor. She's also the AFLW Assistant Coach for the West Coast Eagles. She's an absolute weapon of a human. Uh, She is just remarkable to talk to. I can see why she does her job because, you know, she says something and you go, okay, oh, that would work. (laughs) She's freaking amazing. She's wise, she's kind, she's powerful, she's super smart. Look, I say it all the time, you can't be what you can't see. And as a parent to a young woman, I know that the world that I see available for my eldest girl is very different to the world that I see available to our youngest boy. Still, in 2020, so it's super important to have conversations like this and and highlight a human being like Michelle. Speaking of our youngest boy, we recorded this a few weeks ago uh, when we were still trying to train Wolfgang to fall asleep by himself. Now, I had the podcast book with Michelle at a certain, like, uh, right around a little bit after, like in the middle of Wolfie's nap. That's when it was supposed to happen. Normally, Wolfie would have slept for two and a half hours and um, we'd be sweet. However... We were trying to train him how to get to sleep by himself without us shushing or cuddling him, just letting him alone. We were using a method called the uh, lie-down method. So after an hour and a whopping 90 baby get-ups, which is kind of like a Turkish get-up, but with less kettlebells and more just standing up in the cot and shouting at me, like he'd get up and scream, and I'd put him back down and say, good night, and he'd stand up and scream, and I'd put him back down and say, bedtime. He'd stand up and scream, and I'd put him down and say, bedtime. He did that 90 times. 
It was like burpees, to be honest. It was like baby burpees. He kept like almost jumping up from being laid down. I ran out of nap window. I'm like, this baby's got to sleep and I've got to do this podcast. So I strapped him on the yoga baby on the front because I couldn't let him win the cot fight, right? He had to lose the cot fight. And so I strapped him on and the little boy still needed to sleep. So thankfully, Michelle, who is deep with wisdom, empathy and compassion for a baby sleep battle, because she has two kids of her own, was super cool about it. And we had this extraordinary conversation with Wolfgang strapped to my chest. So with that in mind, every now and again, you might hear a little bit of a baby nuzzle, um, but it's great. It was such a nice way to do this conversation. Uh, so enjoy this remarkable conversation with Michelle Cowan. We're on a thing, basically, uh, you've got your favourite pillow. I've got my favourite pillow. You know, we've all, got our, <laughs> we've all got a thing that we have right before we go to sleep. And if we don't have it, it's hard to get yeah. to sleep, you know. We have our little yeah. routine. Well, babies are the same and they get to a point where if you don't, you've, you know, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't, I'm just explaining it for the people listening. Um, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. They get to a point where if they don't have the stuff that they've had right before they go to sleep, they can't get to sleep. And it's been like unless he's being held and sung to holding bunny, he can't fall asleep. And um, he's just learned how to stand up in his cot. And there's a book we're reading called Save Our Sleep because what happens is he wakes up in the middle of the night and then the only way to get him back to sleep is you've got to hold him and, yeah. then, and then no one's getting any sleep and it's it's <laughs> terrible for the, everybody. And so we're in this war of attrition with uh, – the will of a 10-month-old baby um, and we're currently in the, you've got to put them down on the cot and say, all right, lie down now, off to sleep. And they grab the railings and they stand up and they grab the top and they scream. They're just shouting. They're just upset. They're not, they're not crying. They're just shouting. So he's done 90 baby get-ups today. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but then he still needs to sleep, but I can't let him win. So you strap him on. And so now he's, he's having his nap. It's uh, very comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. He's a unit. <laughs> his mum's Fijian. And so he'll either gonna, he's either going to play rugby for Australia or, or Fiji or both. I don't know. <laughs> but he's, there's a lot of him, Michelle. He's a, he's yeah, a good. Big That's great. I love a, that. He's a big boy. I'm very, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll miss when I can't hold him like this in yeah. the carrier. It's pretty great, but uh, our, our other kid, she's 16 and she's taller than me and, you know, she's got mates coming around today and I know, mate. <laughs> but, look, I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm so grateful that we could do this. I'm so grateful we could talk today. By the looks of things, you are in your office and uh, you have probably the best work-from-home Zoom call bookcase in the world behind you. <laughs> I'm pretty lucky my husband's alternating weeks when he needs to go into the office and a week at home. So this is his week in the office and he's enjoying being at home and this is his office when he's here, but when he's not, I'll just sneak in and do a potty. <laughs> I love it. I'm bloody grateful. You're in West Australia, aren't you? Yeah, we are. Sunny WA. 
sunny WA, uh, COVID-free since I don't know when. Yeah, it is. They're doing really well. Very happy with our Premier here. He's, he's done a really good job. So I think everyone's pretty happy with that. Yeah, it's slowly getting back to normal, but I think there's a new normal for everybody. Yeah, it's it's odd. You know, I, th- I think for me, Michelle, this whole thing is is in messaging. You know, it's, okay, lockdown's ending, but it's not going back to what we used to do because going back to what we used to do is what, you know, it's, it's not safe to do that anymore. It's <laughs> lo- lockdown's over and now we have to figure out how to do stuff two metres apart. <laughs> yeah, well, I reflect on it thinking how... Oh, how dirty we were. Oh, my God. But, you know, like we just, I don't know, it's it's strange that we were, um, you know, the way you'd line up at a shopping centre or at the shops and be so close to people you don't even know, whereas the new normal is to be 1.5 away and I think that's just going to be the way we are moving forward. No, no longer Boxing Day sales with hundreds of people lining up at the door. Yeah, that is that's that sort of stuff's not going to happen. I mean, you know, I was telling G the other day about, oh, no, there was a time when I would be on the barrier at the big day out. There was a time when I would be, <laughs> you know, holding on to the railing and just have humans all over me just covered in people yeah. for, for hours and other people sweat and spit and snot and vomit and whatever else it was, but the band was playing so I didn't care. Yeah. And I wonder, I think about how much I guess I took my immune system for granted, considering how many of those pathogens were then getting into my body and my body going, it's cool, we're fine. Mm. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> when you reflect on what you're doing. But hopefully it doesn't change, you know, those industries too much. They're important. Um, we need to go to the theatre and we need to go to concerts, and uh, but we've Maybe just got to do it a bit different and with a bit more sanitizer. Yeah, it's going to take a. It might might take a little while, I think, mm. before we get there. But I'm pretty sure everyone's really kind of getting their head around why it's important and what's going on. I can't imagine the. You know, when did you? I mean, you you work in professional sport. You work in team sport. There's very close contact. There's tackling. There's you know other people's bodily fluids getting all over you. When did you guys first start talking about? how the season might look differently. And I'm guessing it's much like what we do is like in television, we're making a show about, you know, people are making out on our TV show, right? So (laughs) my executive producer, she's very much like, look, we take a step across the road. We look both ways. If it's safe that we take another step across the road and that's like day to day. And it's still, it's been day to day for six months. So how did it, how did the conversations first start with you? Yeah, it was uh, a whirlwind now when you reflect back on it, but our AFL women's season came to an extreme halt straight away and the season never continued or finished to get into finals. And I guess at the football club, we were kind of segregated from the men's team and the women's team as well. The women working full-time outside of footy as well, they're, they're juggling both careers, trying to be professional footballers and professional school teachers as well. They're then exposed to so many children throughout the day and bringing in all these types of germs and and whoever they've seen throughout the day into the football club. So that was really, really quickly. The club was really quick to just, I guess, segregate both uh, competitions and the waffle competition as well with the men uh, that work full-time, whether they be teachers or builders or whatever. So they got removed from the club as well and 
And I guess the full-time AFL players got exclusive use of the club, which got cleaned every 10 minutes as well. So it was quite extreme. Initially, we thought it was quite extreme, but they took really, you know, the right precautions. Yeah, and and makes you really consider, as you mentioned, how close we are to each other and then what value, I, I guess, you know, I only know this from, you know, I, I grew up being on stage and playing in bands and also my career has been in front of an audience and there's, you know, there's a reason you do a live show. You put 800 people in a studio going bonkers, it lifts everyone and everything. What have you noticed watching, you know, crowdless games going on? Have you noticed a difference with your coach's eye? I think you notice that there are a lot of players now that reflect that they love having a crowd there. And maybe at the time when they're in their career and they're just going through the motions, you don't stop and really be appreciative of the fans that are coming through the gate and everybody that you see or the high fives that you give after the game and the ball that you give away to that little kid that's leaning over the fence. Like it's things that I think a lot of players just took for granted. It's just what what you do and what happens. So I'd like to actually see more AFL players come out right now to say, we miss you. And I haven't really heard a lot of that from the actual players and I'd like to see that a little bit more because I think they do. And from a spectacle, you know, I certainly enjoy watching a lot of footy but I prefer it when when there is a bit of a crowd and the oohs and the ahs and all of that that comes along with it. So we all miss the crowds and and all those little things that come along with having a crowd. You know, gone are the days of probably high-fiving. I hope not. (laughs) <laughs> but they potentially are when, to the crowd at the end of the game. Um, we saw that at, we had an open training session in the early days and players had to stay two metres away from anybody. So it makes it hard for all those little kids and everyone that wants to come down and, and touch their favourite heroes. And in many cases, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you ask any player, there's probably a moment when they were five years old where they high-fived someone at a training and that's the thing that set them off on their path. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lucky, I guess over here in WA, I'm I'm coaching my daughter's football team. She's nine and it's frustrating. But (laughs) the the nine-year-olds kicking the ball is something that we're really working hard on in order to make it stop going in every direction. But... A couple of AFLW players came down to training last night and presented the jumpers to the girls and there were photos, they were getting photos with them and, you know, they were close and and we're allowed to do that over here in, in WA and it's creating incredible memories for these girls that got their mm. first ever footy jumper and they've got an AFLW player right next to them and hopefully that is never going to go away because they're pretty special moments and, I've got a number of messages this morning from parents just saying that their daughter is just over the moon with excitement at what happened last night. Oh, what a what an extraordinary gift you've been able to give those kids. I mean, you know, that in itself is a that's a thing you remember forever and ever. That's really something. And I, I noticed where there's a big NRL bent in our household. It's a family thing over here. So I do notice, and I've paid a lot more attention in the last couple of years to how that outreach around the younger people and, you know, school kids and stuff goes around, you know, the codes. And honestly, I've, I've got to say the AFL and AFLW do, a, do an, a cracking job, a cracking job of framing it 
to parents and and the way that that you know in those very early years how they frame it and how the experience is for a kid who's five, six, seven. Like to go out on the bloody SCG and kick a footy around after watching a Swans game when you're five, it's like standing on stage at Wembley right after you've watched Queen play, you know? It's yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely memorable. Big stage like that, get the opportunity to play at halftime with your team, your local footy team. And the way that AFL actually... <laughs> Uh, has Auskick and how reasonable that price of Auskick is compared to maybe netball or basketball and and even soccer. I think it's quite expensive. Whereas Auskick, you you get a backpack, you get your own footy, you get all these things, and they get their name on an actual footy card, which is like a, a retro footy card and a photo of them, and and it's just you know, wow factor for the kids. They absolutely love it. And, you know, for me, when I reflect on even uh, coaching women's and and young girls footy years and years ago, I'd have a lot of parents that say, too rough. No, I'm not letting my daughter play that. She's going to get tackled. You're going to get hurt. Like, and I'd often have the conversation, well, what what is it that you're really scared of? And then can I have a conversation about the benefits of your daughter playing football when it comes to camaraderie and working together as a team, uh, leadership, uh, fitness, health, mental health? The benefits totally outweigh the potential to get injured. And if we can have the correct coaching in order to help them prevent any injuries, then, then that's great. We want to do that. But certainly the benefits for a young girl and playing football outweigh significantly the risk. Was football a part of your life when you were that age? Oh, I wish it was. Uh, it wasn't. There were boys' teams playing and I wanted to play and would always have a kick with my brother. He's only 18 months older than me, so pretty close and, and very competitive in everything that we did. But, yeah, I couldn't really play football. I guess at a when I was probably 18, I went down to the local women's team and sat there and I wanted to try out and, and played a few games and the culture back then really deterred me from wanting to play football. Uh, it was very social I think people were even smoking at quarter time and half time or when they ran off on the bench and that was just local club, amateur footy and women's footy just starting up. So I was really deterred by that culture. I think I wanted to come in and be a little bit more semi-professional than that and from there just took a turn to, you know, playing a lot more golf and played state cricket for a bit and and state beach volleyball as well. So footy wasn't an option, but I'd give anything to be 20 years younger. You and I have uh, something in common in that we're both immigrants to this country. We were both brought here when we were quite little. I know my parents struggled quite a bit with anything that wasn't soccer because they were Euros and they didn't understand what's this weird ball that doesn't bounce properly. There's too many goalposts. We don't get this. Yeah. This is, no, we're, we're off, go play soccer, kids. But back, you know, in Brisbane in the 80s, if you played soccer, you were a, a weird Euro, and I, which is what <laughs> it was. How did your parents kind of, when did you first notice AFL? How old were you? Well, I came over from South Africa when I was four, so not a whole lot of memories of, of my, I guess, being so young over there. But we were a really big 
rugby family. Uh, still follow the Springboks and love uh, Wallabies Springboks match and get along to as many as we can. But I guess footy was just instilled in me from when I was here in Western Australia and just loved it. I just loved the sport. I found myself as a young girl watching as much football as I could down at my local park or amateur football, whatever it was, just wanted to watch as much as I could and really enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the pace of the game. I enjoyed the contests, the physicality of the game and and a game that was for everybody. And when I became aware that the rules didn't allow me to take part in it, I thought, well, I'll just coach because there's no rule saying I can't coach, but there is a rule saying I can't get drafted to the West Coast Eagles back then, whereas now there is that opportunity. So, yeah, it was just, I guess, organically having a passion and a love for all sports, basketball, hockey, Olympics, whatever it was, just loved watching and most importantly playing as much sport as I could and if I couldn't play, I'd be watching it and coaching it. And when did you first get the idea that the coach was a like a legitimate pathway? It's like this could be well, – well, firstly, hey, it sucks that you had to look at this world that you adored so much and knew that you weren't able to participate. That's a shit thing to have for a young person to deal with this, you know, someone who has probably and arguably more passion and more drive and more commitment to it than other people who might have been given that opportunity. To not have that opportunity would have been really tough, but the only place that you can find a way in was through coaching. When did you first realise that that was a pathway? I, I guess I – wasn't a pathway for any other female in, across the whole of Australia. Nobody was doing it. Uh, I didn't look at somebody and think, oh, I want to be like her. It was just a matter of pure persistence and resilience and, and just clear direction that that is what I'm going to do because I loved coaching the year eights and the year nines at school and, and I got a real buzz from coaching their hockey team and their basketball team and I got a real buzz from seeing somebody uh, you're coaching develop in a in a skill and them to just glow after seeing them kick their first goal or anything like that. So the teaching and educating piece was something I absolutely loved. And then I guess when I put it all together, if I had to choose what code and what sport I wanted to make a career out of, because you've got to work for 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, however many years of your life, there's no way I want to get out of bed and dread what I'm going to go and do. So I wanted to forge a career in something that I'm absolutely passionate about and something that I love. And for me, it was easy. It was AFL. It was miles away from probably cricket and golf, which are a very close second, but AFL was a standout for me. And I thought, well, I can do that. I can coach AFL whilst I didn't what you can't see you can't be I I thought no that can definitely happen I can be that because there's no rule that says I can't you mentioned that you coached in high school who was we're weird as humans and this is many ways what a coach does we have ability but for some reason we need someone else to tell us that it's okay to be this thing I give you permission to go and do this thing you are good at this go and be that oh, okay I'll go and do it now was there someone in your life that went you know Michelle you should give coaching a shot or the volleyball team need a coach the grade eights need a bit of a hand they're just running around can you sort them out was there someone in your life that turned up at that point in your time and and said you know what this might be for you yeah there was it was actually a, a PE teacher at my school who 
empowered and encouraged me all the time. And I remember one thing really clearly. I think I was in year 11 and the whole class was doing volleyball. It was part of PE and they were all getting their reports and the teacher had to go off to a meeting and she gave me the clipboard and said, Michelle, can you please do everyone's report? I'm like, well, they're actually my peers and and my friends but you know I've got a responsibility here and she really trusted me and empowered me to take on on that and then I guess throughout my whole schooling there was always I was given opportunities to coach the softball and the hockey of, of younger years but empowered for my year group as well and yeah that really made me grow and just stand taller and had great belief in me for the five years that I was at high school and I remember going to her wedding and she came to my wedding and we still stay in contact. And you can have that person in your life that really believes in you and you can say something that is so out there and, and wayward, but they're like, no, no, yeah, you can do that. I agree. And I think my family as well, uh, a lot of people say, oh, what did your mum or your dad think about you and your brother and your sister coaching football? And no one ever said anything about it. It was just as if oh, I've got an interview at West Perth Football Club. Oh, yeah, you're going to be home for dinner? It was just not a big conversation about it. It was, yeah, it was just the norm of what I was doing and, yeah, no one ever questioned it. I love doing this podcast, Michelle, because the answer to that question is so often the same. The answer to that question is like, no, there was someone that showed up. It's usually between the ages of 13 and 17. They went, no, 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 actually, you you can and you should. You've got a thing. You're going to have to work, but you'll be fine. Just do it. And it's the same every freaking time. And I love it. And, you know, because there's no, there's, there's no magic formula to it. It's just we're social animals and we all have a little bit of insecurity. We just need someone that we believe in to go, no, no. You've got this. What you think is right, you should chase it down. And we go, okay, I will now. And off we go. It's freaking yeah. awesome. <laughs> I reflect on my high school. I went to boarding school in year eight and absolutely loved it and still stay in contact with all those country girls to this day. We really formed a close bond. But I went to Iona and the theme of Iona is Iona girls make a difference. And I just keep saying that to myself, even as a 38-year-old, like if I'm going to go and do something, I'm like, no, no, I own a girl's make a difference. We're going to make a difference in this. And I had three of the nine-year-olds yesterday in their Iona uniform straight from school coming to training, and we just have a little connection and we're like, yeah, I own a girl's fist pump. We make a difference. So, yeah, I think it was an amazing school to go to and I loved going there and, Maybe my daughter will go there and hopefully she has an incredible experience like I did. But it was a really strong foundation for me and I thank my parents, I guess, for shipping me off to boarding school to go there because I really think it made a difference in, I guess, my confidence and my ability to communicate and, and go and get what I want in life. Yeah, well, and I, I reflect on that with, with Audrey as well. Like you really only have one as a parent the one shot you've really got is investing in the kid's education before about the age of 18. After that, you don't really have much more influence because they're their own human being. But that investment of time, of money, of effort, 
of you're worth it. <laughs> it's it's so important because it really does. It just sets them off on the course for the rest of their days. You are, a, as you mentioned, persistence earlier. I'm so grateful to reconnect with you. People may not realize we did a corporate gig together. I was sitting in the same chair. You were sitting in the same chair, but it was a different, <laughs> a, a different meeting online somewhere. And I really resonated because you and I had something very much in common in that we both, as how long ago it was for me, and similarly for you, we both just went one day, you know, stuff this, and we wrote letters to everybody that we <laughs> wanted to work for, and one person wrote back. <laughs> That's right. And that was it. And that was the same thing for you, right? Yeah. Well, it only takes one, and I wrote to all 16 AFL clubs as a, as a young 17-year-old girl, and reflecting on it I just feel so naive when I but I love what I did and it got me to where I am today I wouldn't be who I am and what I do if I didn't have the courage and make the time to actually put writing down and and write to every club so I wrote to back then all 16 AFL clubs and waited and waited by the letterbox and I got 14 replies back it's funny now because out of the two that never wrote back to me, West Coast Eagles was one of them who I'm currently working for at the moment. So, <laughs> you know, they came writing. It was just 20 years later and Essendon never wrote back to me either. So they were the only two clubs that – and I, I've still got the letters and I love looking back at them to see who was the CEO at the time and who was the footy manager that wrote back to me and some of these – guys are still in the competition and and a lot of them have moved on as well but there were two clubs that wrote back to me that said that they'd love to catch up and I ended up taking a a role with Geelong Football Club after a number of meetings I had a couple of meetings with Gary Davidson he was a footy manager at the time and I reflect on him thinking wow he really looked outside the square back then to give me the time of day to have a conversation And then when he didn't have an opportunity at the football club but he created an opportunity for me because he saw something within me, you know, I reflect on that thinking that's outstanding, brave and courageous leadership for him to do that. Now, the other other club I met with, it was North Melbourne Football Club. I don't normally name them and I don't normally talk about them but I'm happy to because we've since had conversations and I think they are a different football club to what happened to my experience back then but they flew over here and I think there was a change in personnel of who was going to meet with me originally it was going to be the footy manager and he was unwell and then somebody else stood in and had the meeting and it literally it went for probably three minutes and I drove all the way into the city and I was excited about this and I was prepared and I had a folder and my printed resume and I was excited to meet this person and he didn't give me any time and he just said to me, not in my lifetime and, and not in your lifetime will women ever coach in the AFL. And no disrespect, but we need money on board in football clubs and we just cannot have women seen in the coach's box. And, yeah, for me that moment was really empowering though. Like I, a lot of people think, oh, how does somebody say that? But as soon as he said it, I was probably a little bit of me was like watch me then because I'll show you I'll prove you wrong and that was my thought straight away so I just continued on that path of knocking down the door and asking the questions 
Oh, I love that. Because <laughs> there's two ways to take everything. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm so excited, but I don't want to speak too loudly because I'll, I'll wake the baby. <laughs> shush, mate. Oh, cool. Oh, he opened his eyes. Shit. Oh. Okay. Shush, 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 shush. Shush, 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 shush. I love that. I love that you went, it's okay, buddy. It's all right. It's okay. Hello, mate. Hello. Hello, it's okay. I just got really excited when I heard Michelle telling the story. <laughs> I know. It was a really exciting story. She said, watch me. There she is. You want to say hi? Hi, Michelle. Hello. How you hi. going? All right. There you go, buddy. All right, back to sleep. There you go. Um, I, lo- I love that because there's two ways to take that, you know. There's two ways to take not in my lifetime and not in your lifetime will that ever happen. A person could hear that and go, all right. That's it. It's over. But the same words can be interpreted in the opposite, which is exactly what you've done. Your your interpretation of that is like, all right then, watch me prove you wrong, pal. And off you went. And it's important to remember that we all have that opportunity. I mean, it's not, bear in mind, you saw the way that sport was going. It's not like you're going, I'm going to walk upside down on the ceiling with no magnets. Here I go. It's like you can't defy the laws of physics. You know, there are things that you would be delusional to imagine that you could achieve. You can't fly using the power of your arms. You can't gargle bleach and survive. There's things you cannot do, all right? You can't say watch me to everything. But having, you know, obviously seen the progression of women in sport over the years and you're like easily got a vision of the future going, pal, you've got this one wrong. Let's go. And that's a great reminder for us all to understand, well, actually, I, I know you might have this position of authority that these people have given you, but I'm, I don't know about that. I'm going to go and make a move on my own. And that's a really th- good, important thing to remember for all of us, you know, it really is. Yeah, it is. And I enjoy, I guess, getting back to schools and, and speaking to anybody really. Is it, I really believe you can be anything you want to be in this world, anything Anything you want, it's going to take hard work potentially. It's it's going to take knocking down the door. It, it may take a, a little bit more time. But if you really set your mind to it and you want to be the next Prime Minister of Australia, you can be that if you really want to. It's going to take hard work and a lot of determination, but anything is possible. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah. Uh, sorry, mate. Yeah, without a doubt, I keep frightening, <laughs> keep frightening the baby with how excited I get listening to you. One of the one of the greatest things said to me in my career was it, it was actually Eddie Maguire who said it to me. Um, he's obviously 
famous for saying many things, but one of the things he said to me, he took me aside. We work on different networks. We are not on the same team as far as telly goes, but he took me aside. It was when Idol was still on and he goes, listen, mate, you just got to back yourself. You just got to back yourself and just do it. Do what you say you're going to do and back it. I'm like, okay. And it's an important thing. That particular thing he said really resonated with me, yeah. you know. There's some things that he said since that I don't necessarily agree with, but that particular thing <laughs> yeah. I do agree with because I think it's very important. And uh, I guess it also, you know, it's an important reminder that there's a lot of dimensions to everybody and, you know, yeah. <laughs> not, not everyone is 100% all latch the time. Latch on to that one. Latch on yeah. to that one. Yeah, latch on that one. So <laughs> as you started getting into it, clearly the bloke that told you not in my lifetime, not in any lifetime, was speaking as a reflection of the culture that he knew. And here you are right into that culture as a trailblazer, as, you know, the first woman to do it. A lot has been said, written, shown, seen, heard about uh, women in all professional men's football leagues. So we're not going to point fingers at anybody or single anybody out. What was it like? as you oh. waded into that extraordinarily men's only domain with a culture that had 100 years behind it of permissive behaviour. Yeah, I feel like I did exactly what you did and if anyone said something really positive about me being in the environment and, and creating a different dynamic within and different energy within the team or the club, I really latched onto that and anything else that was... I guess, against that or against myself being involved. I just really didn't pay it any time or any attention whatsoever. On reflection, there was a lot of it, but I kept surrounding myself with great people that kept going, wow, I love that you're doing that or I love how you do this and, and that is great and and kept listening to those people. And then as essentially without me knowing it I was just weeding my own little garden getting all those other people out of it so I could grow and be the best version of myself and remove those people from any conversations that I, I would be having and I've got so many examples of them I remember one a dad of a player that I was coaching and my husband was with me at the time and he wouldn't shake my hand when I just went to just say hello after the game had finished and he said I'm not shaking your hand and why would I shake your hand women should not be involved in football clubs and and you shouldn't be here and Chris was next to me he'd never experienced it he heard me say things about it but he'd never experienced it himself and, and someone I guess be so disrespectful in front of your face like that and I just said thank you hope you enjoy your evening and walked away and Chris was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, come on, this is what I do. I just ignore it. Like I'll, I'm not even going to give it my energy and my oxygen because it's not worth it. And five minutes later the guy's running back up to me saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I'm like, that's fine, and, and I just continue a conversation with somebody else that I wanted to be around. It's an extraordinary amount of discipline that you have. And it, it speaks to your self-confidence, I guess, as well, in that if you have 
the feeling of worthiness inside yourself that's strong enough, nothing that anyone can say to you will diminish that. But if you're going through your life going, no, I have to have the approval of others, even strangers, particularly like a bloke is even twice removed from me. He's the dad of one of the players. I don't see him every day. I don't see him ever. Why would his opinion matter to me? And how much power you gave that opinion is the extraordinary way. That, that That's a very... T- tough thing to do for many people because we're all freaking insecure at the on the inside but you had that confidence in that moment to go okay but you know, fine thanks that says more about you than me and you know, all that's running through your head you know i would have taken him on there and then you know i would have <laughs> i would have got into a, a mud fight with a you know with someone who loves mud it would have been awful <laughs> I think it's that saying, you control what you can control, control the controllables. And I can't control his thoughts. I can't control what he believes. What I do feel is I feel really sorry for his daughter. You know, like if he's saying and and treating me like that, I I hope he's respectful to her and and Mm. what she wants to do with her life. So... You know, after that moment, our next training session, I saw his son and I approached him because it, it did hurt me a bit. Like it was there and it still happened and Chris saw it. And I just went up to him and I said, I met your dad. And I could tell already that he was embarrassed because he, he knew, I think either mum told him or, or something like that. Yeah. And I said, I, I hope you don't share your dad's thoughts and values around my role at this football club. And that was the end of the conversation. Uh, and we, you know, we haven't spoken about it since, but we certainly are still in contact, but we've not spoken about that incident since really. Wow. that That's really the, and I remember when the Taylor Harris, all that stuff came up and um, you would click on the avatars of the people that were saying things to her online. And it was a, it was a bloke with daughters and it was like, what? Hang on a second. No, no wonder this shit lasts. You know, no wonder you're, you're just saying stuff that your grandpa said because it's been just going through your family. No one's ever challenged you on it. And it just blew my mind. It blew my mind that, you know, I mean, I'm someone with a with a stepdaughter. Sorry, mate. Are you ready to get out? Are you ready to get out, champ? Can you hold on for like 20 more minutes? A bit more of a cuddle? Try and get back to sleep? What do you think? Yeah, no? You know, you're kind of hungry, aren't you? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> let's get him out of the. Uh, let's get him out of the harness. Sorry, I've got a jumper on top of this. So yeah, I'm. Uh, you can you can tell I grew up in Queensland. <laughs> it's uh, in fact, it's it's. Uh, That's brilliant. So after beats and hey, honey, perfect timing. Uh, yeah. Perfect timing, baby. He, I just unstrapped Hello. him. This is my wife, Audrey. Hi. Hi, Audrey. Headphones on. Um, he just, he blanked his away for about five minutes. How are you feeling? How's acupuncture? Intense. Yeah, intense? Yeah. Yeah, she got me good. Cool. He's, he got about, <laughs> he probably got about f- 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 45 minutes on my chest. You're such a good daddy. I appreciate you saying that in front of somebody else. <laughs> he pays me. <laughs> All right, I'll be up soon. Love you, babe. See you in a sec. Nice to meet you. <laughs> you too. Okay. You. Okay. You too. Bye, buddy. Oh, he's a good guy. Well he's done. Good that was he's good. That was a good time. Try it. Oh, like even, as you know, like even fifteen minutes, all you got to do is you just kind of got to reset that cycle. But I just I couldn't let him win 
the I'm not going to lie down in my cot game. I couldn't let yeah. him win it. Couldn't yeah. let him win it. So he, he had to sleep, just not in the cot. So I oh, do what you got to do. I think we yeah. uh, we had a football. My husband would be bouncing on a football, yeah. yeah. And uh, that was the best way to get my daughter to sleep. So oh yeah, they're great those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just going to be it's going to be a battle. The next couple of days are going to be a battle because we just he was up until two o'clock in the morning last night. Just yeah. like. I just want to hold on to the side of the cot and chew on it. It's like, no, you need yeah. to sleep. And so do we. We've got work tomorrow. Come, come on, pals. This is not great. It's just a phase. It's just a, it's just a phase. <laughs> That's you know, what people will say. It's just a phase. It's just a phase. At what point in your life do you, like, I'm 46. Do I still get to go through phases? Probably not. Yeah. I should probably have my, my shit together enough to no longer just explain things away. It's, like, it's just a phase. Yeah. No, I'm a I'm a grown adult who's supposed to have my shit together. I'm just yeah. no longer just a phase. I've got to say that the grace and dignity with which you carried yourself in the situation you just described, I'm sure there's probably, unfortunately, way too many more to back that claim. Uh, but I can only imagine that that's indicative of the way that you were spoken to and also similarly indicative of the way you carried yourself. That is such an inspiration, particularly in this time when it seems that as if you're going to engage with other people in the world, it's no longer just online. It's starting to become face-to-face. It's instantly reactionary and instantly barbed and instantly painful. And the ability to be kind of just nice to another person is unfortunately in some instances getting a little challenging. And to hold yourself with that the dignity that you just described is something to really to aspire to. What about when you started hearing, you know, when you're in meetings or whatever and, you, you know, how did you handle people like cracking jokes and, and using derogatory terms that they'd been using all the time and they just didn't consider and now suddenly there's a woman in the room? How did you handle that? Yeah, I, even, I guess, doing a keynote speech and you open it up to Q&A at, at the end of the speech and depending on the, the audience that you have, but I remember some really uh, inappropriate questions at the end of one of my keynotes out in the country town and yeah so the question got asked that how many you know how many guys have I you know in the football world have I been with and you know do it or go in the change room and have a look and all of that and as soon as the question get asked in that moment I remember clearly I just said yeah are there any other real questions and did not give it again just didn't give it the oxygen or the air Later on, after that moment, once we all finished, he came up and apologised, so obviously knew that it was inappropriate, and I used that opportunity just to educate. Like, I did get put into, I guess, stereotypes of, uh, you know, wanting to be a groupie or um, why am I coaching men's football, what am I doing in the change rooms and what am I looking at and am I the masseuse, do I feel the water's up, all this stuff that you know, people would think. And, yeah, for me, yeah, he got it wrong. He might have got one cheap laugh out of that whole audience. I think everyone else thought it was inappropriate and I used the opportunity just to educate. And my education goes along the lines of do you have a mum, do you have a daughter, do you have a grandma, do you have a sister, do you have a neighbour that is a female? And everybody in the audience or anybody would say yes, they've got one, at least one of those things. 
So then think about what you do say. Think about the words and don't be disrespectful about it because you'd want your daughter to be anything that she can be and anything that she wants to be. So support people through that. I had some incredible leaders within football clubs that are still to this day a connection of mine and and mentors and, and outstanding leaders and even when I first started at West Perth it was Darren Harris in 2004 who stood up in front of the whole playing group and said of appointing Michelle to get on board at this football club if anyone has a problem with it you'll never pull on this jumper and play for this football club ever again so you can walk out of this room right now because it was different and it had never been done in the history of Australian AFL sport at any level had a female been appointed but he stood up he appointed me and then along the way just instilled so much belief in me as well which for me I felt like I needed to earn the respect of the playing group and for whatever reason I gave myself six weeks to just build relationships connect with them get to know them they can get to know me and this will be okay after six weeks but it was after that first meeting I didn't need six weeks because of what Darren did in that moment to empower encourage inspire me and I just walked out there and coached footy and I wasn't a female coach I was Michelle and I was a footy coach and so powerful for him another Paul Hazelby at at South Fremantle, incredible for me. He was one of the greatest midfielders to play in his time in the AFL and I was the midfield coach and he was the head coach. And I remember one time we were getting smashed in the midfield and we didn't win six games in a row and there was an emergency board meeting was called and one of the board members had a problem. He said, Paul, you're one of the greatest midfielders to ever play this game and don't take any offence to what I'm about to say, Michelle, but why would Michelle be our midfield coach when you're one of the best to have ever played? And Paul said, well, because in my entire career I've never met a coach who can communicate more effectively and get the best out of a playing group than what Michelle can and that's why she's our midfield coach. And for me in that moment, he could have succumbed to peer pressure and his contract being up and all this stuff, but instead he backed me into my role and moved on pretty quickly and and didn't want to get into more detail about what their question was about. Extraordinary. It it, it does go to show, though, as you mentioned before, that you were weeding your own guard and that you were, you know, the the way you described it, making sure that you are surrounded by the people that can support you and bring you up and that we do need a champion. We all need a champion. We all need someone who's a little ahead of us, wherever the industry that we're in, to vouch for us. That's just how it works. And to have someone like that in your corner is, to use another sporting analogy, is, yeah. is, that's, extra, that's extraordinary. That's an ex- extraordinary backing. And I can only imagine that because you are who you are, because you were born with different genitals, you kind of have to work harder than everybody else. Have you found that? Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a 150 games, two premierships and a a Brownlow medal that can really give me a platform, I guess, to get involved in the game that I love. But I think these days with 
great leaders being on board at footy clubs, they're actually saying that diversity is so important. We can't have everyone that looks the same and acts the same and jobs for the boys. Unfortunately, the reality is we are in 2020 and we don't have one single female coach part of the AFL clubs walking off at quarter time or half time. So whilst we've come a long way, we've still got so, so far to go. We're nowhere near where we should be. And the new leaders that are coming through, the brave and the, the courageous leaders that go, you know what, I know this is what's normally done and like he's, it finishes his career and then comes into a role that we can, you know, he's got to support his family and we can give you a job there. He's got two kids, three kids and, and he needs something. So, yeah, he'll be suitable for the role. But let's look at having greater diversity on our coaching panels because I know that when you've got 42 blokes that you're coaching, they're all very different. And one incredible example I had was even Marlon Pickett, who's now at Richmond Football Club, debuted in the grand final. When he was at South Frio, the coach would have a, a big meeting about what we were going to do and around training and game plan. And then after that meeting, he'd just come over and say, Michelle, what are we doing? Can you explain it to me? And then we had a great connection that we could talk footy together on the same level and he really connected with me and could really grasp what we were trying to do. So we're all different and all the players are different and some of them are really intimidated maybe to go up to a 300 gamer and ask a question that they might feel stupid asking but it's actually not a stupid question and we've got to make sure that we create environments that they feel comfortable and confident that they can be their best and an environment looks like diversity. And I guess the other thing that we have to remember is, it, is it the right thing or the wrong thing to do to suddenly not listen to half the population's ideas? Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. It was like closing one eye and going, no, we yeah. got, no everyone's got a right eye, but we're not going to look out of it, okay? Because yeah. for some yeah. reason, well, the left eye is the one, no. You know, obviously you've got to know the the game, I mean, I'm, I, but no, no sooner would they select me to come and coach because I know, you know, like I said, it's a game where the ball doesn't yeah. bounce properly and there's too many goalposts. You know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't learn about it until I was in my twenties because I grew up in Queensland. Yeah. And by the time, honestly, by the time we had a football team, I'd already discovered guitars and they were on the Gold Coast, which at the time was an hour <laughs> and a half drive away. And I'm like, why call the team Brisbane if you're going to be all the way down there? This makes no sense. Your shorts are too tight. Why are you driving a pink Lamborghini? Yeah, it was a weird time. It was the eighties. <laughs> it was a weird time, and I, I know I yeah. never understood it. I do kind of want to, you know, get you to talk about this because I, I have heard you speak about it before and I think it's worth repeating. You have an extraordinary way of dealing with, and I, I know, you know, we've already visited, but i just like to maybe explore it just a little bit more. It's all well and good to go, yes, you should be empowered. You should not be challenged in your workplace. You should be able to be who you are and take it on your merit of your achievements and your ability to perform the job. And you shouldn't be subjected to the language or behavior that is inappropriate, but it still happens. It's still going to happen. Unfortunately, it will. It's just, I think we're probably a few generations away from it vanishing in our workplaces. But you have, I've heard you speak about it. You have an extraordinary way of stopping an inappropriate comment or inappropriate joke in its tracks. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, I'd really love you to kind of explain how you found that and, and how it might work. Yeah, I think we're on the same page here. I, I guess any comment 
that I really don't understand, I just don't get maybe in, in my world. But if somebody was to say something, I just go back to them with a question. I think that's generally the best thing that can help me educate myself as to where they're coming from. So I generally would just say, oh, help me understand what you mean by that. So if someone says, oh, women should not play football, then I'll be like, okay, help me understand what you mean by that. And then what it does to them is actually makes them think about what they've actually, what has just come out of their mouth. And often people will go, oh, no, that's not what I meant. This is what I meant. Or they'll actually hear their own answer and think, yeah, that's not right, is it? So, you know, I often just put it back to the person, whatever it might be, help me understand. I use it with my kids all the time. Help me understand why your shoes are in the middle of the kitchen, LB, and then they get put away. <laughs> like, Because there might be a legitimate reason. He might have had a spider in his shoe and he quickly flicked it off and I was like, wow, that's not good. Let's get the shoes out. There's a spider in there. Well, there might be a legitimate reason as to why people have these views. But, yeah, educate me and help me understand why. It's an extraordinary question to ask and it's probably got very deep psychological um, <laughs> effects that then forces the person because I, I guess a lot of the time when that person says women shouldn't play football or, you know, have you heard the one about, you know, the two blondes, they're just repeating something that they haven't really thought about too much but they're trying to get a reaction that they were a part of and they are now being the uh, protagonist of that situation whereas before they were you know on the receiving end of it they might not have even thought about why they got a laugh and so they're just saying it again and then when you question them on it suddenly it's like oh and I'm not going to lie, I have I have used it. And, and I talk about this on the show a bit. Calling out shit in a group chat with the, your dearest friends is fucking hard, man. You know, it's like, guys, come on. Like, and I love these men with all my heart. Yeah. You know, I've been to their weddings. They've, I've been to the baptisms of their children. You know, I'm, I adore them. Yeah. And I have said, I've, I've like, help me understand why that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Perfect. Completely expecting that I will be evacuated from the group chat. But I yeah. think that <laughs> as long as you always remember the number one rule of group chats is that if you're in a group chat, there is a smaller group chat that has less people in it and not you. <laughs> the same amount of people. There's another one with less people, but you're not in it. <laughs> and that's just a fact. So it's been very tough at the moment uh, with lockdown and with the restrictions that have been happening in New South Wales. Georgia, who I adore, Georgia's 16, she's statuesque and, and beautiful. And her social life revolves around physicality. And it's been tough that she hasn't had that because not only is it a social thing, because she's with her dear friends, she feels very comfortable at, you know, none of them knew how to play basketball, but they just went, that sounds like fun. And they just went for it and they have a blast mm. and they're very physical throughout the week. They get all their energy that might be building up inside their bodies. They get it out. Yeah. These are the things that I see valuable about not only kids playing sport, particularly young, young women playing sport. What is it that we can do to help young women stay in sport? She's very lucky because her social life is enmeshed in it. But, I, you know, I know that a lot of young women around 12, 13, they just get out of it. They stop playing. What are some things that we can do to help our, our young women stay in sport or be interested in it? Yeah, I think the statistics even five, ten years ago were horrific with the dropout rate of young girls being at school and, and playing 
sport after school to then even once year 12 is finished, the dropout rate to playing team sport or any sport was something like 82%, so a massive, massive dropout. And I think what's going to help and what is helping is the fact that my daughter Millie and my son Elbie can sit in the living room on a Friday night and the TV's on and I might be watching it and I'm watching the Matildas or I'm watching AFLW. And back in my day, a women's sport would not be on. So they couldn't see what they could be, whereas these days there's so much women's sport on TV. The cricket, the World Cup was unbelievable. The Matildas now have the World Cup in Australia. Huge. This is huge. So exciting. what the girls are going to see, like even the soccer, this is massive for young girls and women's sport. And I think what's going to help with that dropout rate is the fact that they can have a career out of this now because you couldn't before, but now you can. So I might stick at my sport because there is great opportunity for me now and I can represent Australia in the Olympics or I can play this and have a career out of it and support my family by doing that as well. I don't need to stop it because I need to go and study something else because that's the end of that sport. So I think having now clear pathways and complete pathways for women to participate is going to help girls stay in sport. And then I think it comes down to um, who you choose to hang around with as well. Like if you're hanging around a, a group that are, you know, loving their water polo and and that's their camaraderie and mateship and and their weekends, then you don't want to let the team down as well. So you, you want to hang in there and, and be part of it. But I really do feel the broadcasting is huge, getting women's sport on TV and the fact that we get the World Cup and complete pathways is what's going to help us keep girls playing. When you are coaching the, the nine-year-olds, I'm guessing that, you know, that comes with its own own sets of challenges. I guess it's a mixture of like, can you all just not try and chase the ball? Because you just want to touch the ball. You know, I remember as a kid, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to touch the ball. If I touched the ball and it was a good game, that's all that mattered because yeah. the, the ball was important. I didn't care where it went. I just wanted to touch it. <laughs> what are you trying to focus on when there's a jillion things that you could get a nine-year-old to do as far as skills go and as far as gameplay, as far as reading the field, as far as all those things? What are you trying to focus on when you've got nine-year-olds? Yeah, pretty clear and it's fun. They've just got to enjoy themselves. That is my whole focus for this season is that, Every girl is enjoying themselves and and the way that they do enjoy themselves is you're right, if they get their hands on the footy and if they get to kick a goal, like huge, amazing, and I'll be talking about that for the next two weeks if they kick a goal, even at training, to see their face light up after kicking a goal. So for me as a coach, you just want to have as many footies out there as possible because you're going to be touching it over 200 times in one of my training sessions in the first 10 minutes of training. You'll be touching so many footies. And gone are the days of being in line and a, and a line of 10 or 15 kids and, you know, line work or getting one touch of the footy and then going and waiting for three or four minutes. Like, I mean, it's at both levels, at AFL level and, and for the young nine-year-olds is people want to enjoy themselves. Even AFL men's players and AFL women's, they want to have fun. They want to enjoy what they're doing. So that never changes really. I think we've got to always continue to make sure that we are having fun along the way whilst as we get more professional there's a bit more on the line. But 
Uh, we'll probably perform better if we're really enjoying ourselves. So that fun component and love of the game is so important. I, two years, just over two years ago, really fell out of love with the game. Uh, I think there was a moment where it was, no, nah, this isn't, this industry is not right and probably really flirting with a lot of my values that I hold so strong on when it comes to respect and honesty and trust, uh, well entrenched in my non-negotiable values. And the industry was flirting with them and I guess we weren't aligned and it was a real big moment for me in my career and with my family and sitting down with my husband and what am I doing? Like this isn't right. This is really testing me and with my core values of who I am. And it came down to, I guess, the environment that I was in and the love of the game and the fun piece that was going away. And I was able to remove my, myself from that environment and I've never been more in love with the game than what I am now. But it's so important to, again, surround yourself with those really good people but be in an environment that is aligned with you as a person is really important and that's something I took away from that experience is whilst if I get interviewed for another job, well, I'm probably going to be interviewing the club in my mind as to whether you're going to be a really good fit for who I am and, and what I believe in as well as them interviewing me. So I've, I've taken that approach and I'm loving the role I have at the moment. I love the environment I'm in and I've fallen back in love with the game after falling out of it, which was hard. As a coach, I find it, I guess I was, you know, even more fascinated watching The Last Dance, the, the Michael Jordan doco on Netflix, watching the way that Jordan, possibly the greatest athlete that has ever lived all right, in the history of sport, right? Yeah. Refusing to play without this particular coach, you know, that he said, no, no, no. I mean, even Tiger Woods has a coach, you know, like the, the greatest players ever have this. They're like, no, 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 I need somebody. I need someone to guide this situation. And I got fascinated with the idea of coaching a little while back. You know, it's this extraordinary mix of trying to put lightning in a bottle at the same time as trying to help someone out with whatever the problem is off the field is going to affect you on the field. So we're also going to have to put a bit of psychology in there and we're going to have to, you know, if you're feeling insecure, you may not want to pass the ball. But if you're feeling yeah. secure in yourself, you'll pass the ball, you know, and you can't drill that. That's the sort of stuff that you can't work out in a training session. You've got to, that's a chat. Yeah. And it's a fascinating gig that you get to do. And, I'm, you know, it must be extraordinary. Yeah, it is. You have so many different hats on lucky as you get I guess up the pathway and more professional you've got so many I guess a lot more people to assist you and help you but yeah you are forever having your your coach's hat on but your parent hat on your friend hat on your doctor hat on your mental health hat on because all of that all of those pieces make for uh, I guess how somebody performs on the field and the most important piece is off the field and really understanding and knowing and caring coaching to me is all about care care for people care for them off the field and then they'll perform on the field but it has to be a genuine care as well and there's a big difference and I think we can see the way AFL coaches are transforming themselves at the moment as well Nathan Buckley significant self-transformation a couple of years ago 
it was probably a little bit more win at all costs and and then he really had to realise that the way he was going about it wasn't right and people weren't enjoying themselves and, yeah, he had a significant transformation and, and so did Dimmer Hardwick and Adam Simpson. Like, there's a lot of them and I think the ones that chose not to change, they're pretty much not involved in the game anymore or uh, some of them are probably on their way out if they're, they're not the new age, I guess, of what, coaching is all about and it's showing that genuine care we all can't play afl or aflw and we all don't have the benefit of having someone like you in our lives but if there's one thing this conversation has really taught me michelle is like how important it is to try and find someone to be your champion to make sure that those dissenting voices and those those voices that are, are not I'm not saying you need to surround yourself with a bubble that never challenges you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, you know, people who are saying things that don't align with your values and people that are around and might just be putting out your candle so those can shine brighter, you know, there's an opportunity to maybe move past that and understand that the better people you surround yourself with, the better you will be. And um, it's certainly something that I really needed to hear today. And I'm, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. And I'm, being, I'm really super grateful you also didn't mind that little Wolfie was here for the first part of our chat. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> I'm grateful that Audrey came. Audrey went to acupuncture today. So um, it's, all, it's all happening. Yeah. Well, that's the other piece of the people that my husband is an incredible support for me and my career and and always has been and, and vice versa as well. And it's probably been times where my career is really – taken off and he's taken that back seat and really helped me and and then there's been a time where we both tried to do it and that was testing and that was challenging but we're just an incredible team who just continue to like communicate like if he's got a really busy week next week then I know about that a couple of weeks ahead and we're able to prepare for it as a family but the team within the house is so so important and so good to have that really strong. And I think it really helps when you've got somebody that can personally just really support you along the ways to achieve what you want to achieve. I'm so grateful to connect with you today, Michelle. And I'm, I'm so excited to get to know you at this point in your career because I can't wait to see what the next 20, 30 years bring from you and what contributions you'll make to not only the sport in our country, but also the people in our country through the wisdom that you speak. It's freaking awesome to speak with you. You're the best. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Love being on. That was Michelle Cowan. She is just the best. She is on Instagram, mishcowan4, M-I-S-H-C-O-W-A-N-4. What an inspiring human being. I'm so lucky that she could come on the show. She is just ace. Thank you very much to Andy Ma, my audio producer, Rachel Barrett, my executive producer, Hayley Van Spania, who does all the social stuff, Mike Mills, who made all the music. I'll see you on Wednesday for Dad Pod, and I'll be back here on Friday. But if you want to catch Friday's episode live, you can see me on Twitch. I'll be doing it on Twitch. So keep in touch on Instagram. And if you go to twitch.tv slash Osher Ginsburg, I'll let you know when I'm going to record it. And um, you can jump in live and we can do it together. Cool beans. All right. Have a fantastic week. Hope you and your babies get to sleep okay. (laughs) I'll see you on Wednesday. Sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. (laughs) 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 